In a world where busyness is worn like a badge of honor, it's almost impossible to imagine breaking free from the shackles of success. Working long hours, skipping meals, missing or being late to important life events, constantly playing catch up, exhausted to the bones. This has been normalized, especially in the medical and healthcare arena. Practice owners are fleeing to corporate practices or leaving medicine altogether in hopes of recapturing their time and energy. But you are here for a reason and you've been searching for answers. Welcome to Thriving Practice. I'm your host, Tracy Cherpesky. I'm an executive coaching consultant and time leadership expert. I'm mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. I am on a mission to help practice owners take back at least one day per week for the rest of their careers so they can focus on healing their patients and falling back in love with their practice. Together we learn, connect with like-minded practice owners and medical business experts, and expand your connection to an international community of peers. In each episode, we discuss the business of medicine and healthcare, how to avoid the pitfalls of success, and how to improve the bottom line, paving the way to exquisite fulfillment in your career and life. Join us each week to learn how you can grow your practice while focusing on what you love most. You'll want to take notes. So let's go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Thriving Practice, the business podcast for medical and healthcare practices where we help provider owners grow their business and take back their time. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Phil Johnson, founder and CEO of Master of Business Leadership and veteran tech executive. Phil overcame adversity as a kid when he was diagnosed with dyslexia and taught himself to learn differently. He has helped organizations generate more than $1.5 billion by teaching leaders how to improve their emotional intelligence. Phil shares how leaders can develop their emotional intelligence, their EQ, and how that is much more valuable than IQ and anyone can develop emotional intelligence. We discuss the value of leadership and leaders understanding and developing their EQ and why that's important for provider owners, so specifically for you, our dear listeners. You will not want to miss when he talks about resistance to change and our biological and sociological hardwiring. He identifies our three primary sources of resistance to change as the following. The first two are biological and the third is sociological. The first is our amygdala. Basically, this is when we won't leave the safety of the cave. That's our fight, flight, or freeze response. And when that's triggered, we are at the mercy of fear. The second is our existing habits, also biological. We have our neural network of pathways and their internal battle for dominance. In other words, not so keen on change. And the third was just sociological resistance to change is that the people around us don't want us to change for fear of having to change themselves. This is so interesting. And I think that this topic is really important for you as a business owner or practice owner. So I'll just share with you, a lot of my clients don't think of themselves as leaders. When they come to me, they might not, even if they have the title of CEO, they might not even think of themselves as CEOs or strategic thinkers, right? And so I want to share with you that it's been my experience, and Phil and I talk about this a little bit, where there is a point at which during your growth in your business, the business itself or the practice itself will require, it will demand 
that you up level your leadership sooner rather than later. So I invite you in this episode to take notes, to settle in and listen really closely to Phil and what he shares and learn from his amazing wisdom. And I also invite you, if this, you know, sparks some thought to at the very, very least, go and subscribe to his newsletter on LinkedIn. It's so good. I get it in my inbox regularly and I read most of them busy. So I don't always read all of them, but it's so good. The insights and the wisdom that he shares. And if if what he's sharing resonates with you and you're looking to uplevel your leadership in a really meaningful way, give him a call, schedule a call with him. So you know what to do, grab a beverage or a snack, plus something to write with and settle in to listen closely to Phil and learn from his amazing wisdom. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, Tracy, thank you. It's a it's an honor to be on your show. I've so enjoyed our our lovely long warm up in the in the green room. Air quotes here. Um, so I'm really excited to share with our listeners. But before we dive in, we'd love to tell people where you are. Where are you located? In Toronto, Canada, awesome. and uh, actually just outside of Toronto in a city called Mississauga. But you can think of it as Toronto. Okay. So a little extension of Toronto. I'm actually going to Toronto in October. So I'm excited. Cool. It'll be my first time going there. So I'm really, really excited. Hear great things. I mean, my mind is just racing. I think, well, I'd like to start kind of at the beginning-ish. So I'd love for you to tell us, you know, the name of your company, what you do, and what brought you to doing this work on emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, the name of my company is the Master of Business Leadership, Inc. And um, I've been an executive coach for the last 21 years, working with executives and organizations all over the world to, uh, to help to develop uh, their emotional intelligence, helping them to achieve personal career and, and corporate success. So we hear a lot about EQ. And, you know, as we were saying earlier, there's, I think that there's a lot of sort of lip service paid to EQ, but your approach and your view is much more expansive. So can you tell us a little bit about emotional intelligence? Yeah. uh, Emotional intelligence is developed through an experiential process rather than an intellectual process, um, meaning that you can't develop emotional intelligence by having a conversation with somebody or reading a book or watching a video. Those are all forms of intellectual labor. But the development of our emotional intelligence requires emotional labor. Do you find that people are resistant to doing this kind of work, to putting the emotional labor in? Absolutely. We have significant resistance to change that is both biological and sociological in nature. Uh, There's two primary sources of biological resistance and one sociological. But let me just say that uh, you, you need to have an urgent desire for better results than you're currently getting to motivate you to do the emotional labor that the development of our emotional intelligence requires. I think that must be hard for for a lot of people, right? You know, we were talking about resistance to change and how quickly things are changing, the speed of change in the world right now. You know, that can feel a little daunting and overwhelming. 
when you're working with with people who come to you who want to improve their emotional intelligence, obviously without giving away your trade secrets, what do you do with them? Like, how do you start them in this process? The first thing I do is I ask them what they want. Mm. So simple. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I try to help them to create, if it doesn't already exist, a strong emotional connection to what it is they're trying to achieve because that is what create the motivation for them to take action to move in the direction of what it is they want. Without that, without that emotional connection, it will be very difficult for the individual to uh, to be willing to do the work that getting better results requires. We were talking a little bit about like the payoff, right? The ROI. So what what is the difference between the payoff for investing in one's emotional intelligence versus investing in one's intellectual intelligence? Huge. Uh, let me um, let me give you a numeric example of the difference between intellectual and emotional intelligence. Um, think of intellectual intelligence um, as somebody giving you $10,000 a day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. I think of emotional intelligence as a penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $10.7 million. At the end of 40 days, you've got over $5 billion. At the end of 50 days, you've got over $5 trillion. Um, so the development of the ROI associated with the development of our emotional intelligence increases in value exponentially. Whereas our ability to do intellectual labor is fixed from birth. So our ability to do intellectual labor isn't something we develop. It's something we inherit genetically. So if you have a high IQ, your parents had a high IQ, their parents had a high IQ, and you inherited those genes. But so whereas not everybody can have 160 IQ, anybody can develop their emotional intelligence. And the ROI is far greater. Matter of fact, there was a study done at UC Berkeley over 40 years comparing intellectual intelligence with emotional intelligence. And they concluded that emotional intelligence was 400% more valuable in achieving success. And I think that number is low. I think emotional intelligence, the value of developing our emotional intelligence is far greater than that. Um, and we'll go with their numbers for now. Mm -hmm. And it's really compelling, right? It's So why would... For example, for our listeners who are primarily um, medical practice and healthcare uh, practice owners, why would it behoove them to invest in developing and expanding their own emotional intelligence? 
Like what's in it for them? Um, better result, less stress, um, better able to serve the people they pre- they're they're trying to serve. Um, reduce burnout. Lots and lots of benefits. Um, but typically people with high IQs have low EQs because it's when they get scared, they run to their strength and away from their weakness. So if the old saying is, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you've been rewarded your whole life for your ability to do intellectual labor, then that's how you try and solve every problem. And you don't realize there's a whole other type of intelligence that you can develop that would dramatically improve the quality of your life. But it's hard work. It's really hard work. And people with high IQs aren't used to doing hard work. Um, The development of emotional intelligence takes a lot of emotional labor. Um, But the benefits are amazing. And on top of that, we don't have a choice. Because we're facing a tsunami of global change with a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. Some scientists estimate that in this century, we could experience the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change. So change is increasing at an exponential rate. We see it all the time, and we see the rate of change accelerating. And without the development of our emotional intelligence to be able to deal with the, the fear and anxiety that change and innovation triggers in us, we're going to see increasing levels of drama, chaos, and conflict. So whether you start to develop your emotional intelligence today or five years from now, you really don't have a choice. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example of a company that's currently doing over a trillion dollars a year in revenue. And their primary hiring focus is in the search for people with above average levels of emotional intelligence. That company is Apple. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They want you to have a great experience. They want to understand your pain in a possible offer a solution to your pain. And maybe you'll tell your friends and they'll tell their friends. But if you think about it, that energy you feel is a very different energy than the energy you feel from the stores around it. That energy is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. More and more companies, because of the accelerating rate of change, are hiring, promoting, and developing emotional intelligence. 
So I encourage people, I encourage people and organizations to bet on themselves by developing their emotional intelligence. And it complements our intellectual intelligence. So if these folks are as smart as they think they are, uh, they would be developing their emotional intelligence. Well, it seems to me, I mean, we can go really, really, you know, high level with this up to that 30,000 foot view that there's, there's a lot of reason, there's a lot of compelling reasons to, to invest in oneself, to invest in your team and to put that energy and effort into um, developing one's emotional intelligence. And I think, you know, bringing it down to earth is really practical, personal reasons, right? Like we can experience like burnout is the word that really triggered this thought for me. So you were saying, you know, lower rates of burnout. Um, so not the, thing, the thing that holds people back isn't a lack of willingness intellectually. Mm-hmm. Lots of people want better results. They don't want to burn out. They don't want to be in a stressful environment. But the thing that's holding them back is fear. Mm-hmm. It's emotion. So let me explain. Um, well, let me explain the three primary sources of resistance we have to change. Um, there's a part of our old lizard brain called the amygdala that has been trying to keep us safe for the last several hundred million years by making sure we never leave the safety of our cave or our comfort zone. And if we do, that triggers the release of cortisol into our bloodstream. And that causes the executive center of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, to shut off. And we go into what psychologists refer to as an amygdala hijack. We go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And when that happens in conflict situations, people die. When it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. We burn trust. So that fight, flight, or freeze mode is, um, is unconscious. We're just, we, we often say and do things we later regret. Um, but in the moment, while this cortisol is coursing through our bloodstream, um, we're at the mercy of our, of our fear. So as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down to better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that change and innovation triggers in us and move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve as opposed to allowing that fear to keep us trapped in our comfort zones. So that's one source of resistance we have to change. Another biological source to resistance we have to change is our existing habits. Once we develop a habit, it's there forever. It's a neural network pathway that we create in our brain. And even though we can create new habits at any age called brain plasticity or neurogenesis, those new habits are always going to be weaker than our old habits because there's an insulation layer uh, that that wraps around the, the neural network pathway called myelin which is thicker when we're younger than when we're older. So even though the new habits may work better than the old habits, 
the old habits are going to be stronger and it's going to be easier to slip back into old habits. Um, so there's going to be an internal battle going on for control, for dominance. That's another source of resistance we have to change. The third is sociological, meaning the people around us don't want us to change because if we change and start to get better results, maybe they're going to have to change and that really scares them. And the best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure we fail. So they can say, look, I, I told you, now come back into the heart with the rest of us and keep your head down. Um, so even though people may want better results than they're currently getting, they underestimate how difficult change is. And without a, an urgent desire, without an emotional connection to a desired result that's greater than your fear, you may want better result, but you're not going to be willing to do the emotional labor that getting better results requires. And so this is what I do as a, I'm kind of like a, a Sherpa, taking mm -hmm. folks on this kind of journey through the fear and anxiety that they experience on the way to achieving better results. And as the results start to get better and better, um, those results become the motivator to do the emotional labor required. Initially, it's driven by fear, but eventually it takes over and it starts to be driven by passion. Um, so there are, there are executives and organizations I've been working with for over 13 years because the ROI keeps getting greater and greater. The ROI never ends. Mm -hmm. yeah. So generally, when you start working with people, the fear is the motivator. They're experiencing oh, some always. kind of pain. Mm -hmm. Always. Mm -hmm. See, see that because the development of emotional intelligence is an experiential process, you can only connect the dots in hindsight after you've taken the leap of faith of beginning to go down the road. Mm -hmm. um, and that's usually, that leap of faith is usually driven by fear. It's interesting. Uh, so as I say, I've been working with executives and organizations for over 21 years doing this type of work. Um, and as they go through the MBL program, they're, they're, the lights are starting to come on. They're becoming more conscious of what's going on in them and around them. And they're, and they're getting better results and becoming better leaders. And they're going, holy smokes, this stuff is amazing. And I say, I, yeah, I, I know. I, I know it is. Um, but let me ask you something. Is there anything I could have said to you at the beginning that could have prepared you for what you know now? And everybody I asked that question to says, no, there's nothing, there's, there's no magic words that you could have told me that could have helped me to understand what I understand now. And you see, that's the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something emotionally. Mm -hmm. You have to do the work. You have to take the leap of faith before you can know it emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting that you said leap of faith because I was thinking it's a leap of faith, right? Like if you're, you're, we always ask the what's in it for me question, whether we put it that way or not. That's really what we're asking. So you're showing what's possible but 
your the people who are coming to you haven't necessarily experienced yeah. that, so they let, have let, to take. Let me give you thing. another analogy. Just reminded me of um, about eighty percent of my new clients, people I work with, come from referrals of existing clients because they see the changes in them and they say whatever whatever's in the Kool Aid, whatever this MBL <laughs> program is. Program class. Yeah, I want, I want, whatever you did for him, I want you to do it for me. Whatever you did for her, I want you to do it for me. Um, but that's also a reflection of, you know, the old Stanford study in the late 1960s. The, you know, you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait 30 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. And hardly anybody's actually willing to wait the 30 minutes for the two marshmallows. And that kind of applies to, uh, the development of emotional intelligence as well. So that going back to that penny doubling analogy. So day one, you've got a penny. Day two, you've got two pennies. Day three, you've got four pennies. Day four, you've got eight pennies. So in the beginning, as you're starting out on this journey, it looks like you're doing a little work for a little. Or you're not, sorry, it looks like you're doing a lot of work, a lot of emotional labor, or not a lot in return. And that's true because you don't know what you don't know. But later on, as you continue on the journey, you start to get better and better results with the same amount of effort. So going from day 30 to day 31 in this example doesn't take any more effort than going from day one to day two. But it's a building process. It's a, it's a conscious habit skills building process. It's an awareness building process. So that's why the initial motivation is usually driven by pain. Um, but if they hang in there and continue to do the work, they start to get better results and the results get better and better and better. So it's kind of like you've got to, you've got to be willing, you've got to be willing to move through that one marshmallow now, two marshmallows later barrier. We're a one marshmallow culture. Mm -hmm. uh, we want it now. We want, matter of fact, we want the two marshmallows now. We don't want to wait thirty minutes. But that's not the way the development of our emotional intelligence works. So that if you can, if you can hang in there, you'll be very glad you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If uh, if somebody wanted to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? And like, what would you? What is the process working with you? Um, the MBL program is initially a sixteen-week process where we get together for uh, for an hour a week for sixteen weeks, and there's homework, and I'm available. Uh, in between if they want to chat. Um, I give them better habits to practice that raise their level of awareness of what's going on in them and around them. It develops their emotional intelligence. They become more inspirational leaders and they achieve remarkable results. So those four things are the outcomes that uh, they get from going through this process. Going through this process 
guarantees, and I want to underline this, the development of your emotional intelligence guarantees career, personal, and corporate success. Guaranteed. And I've been proving this all over the world. For, I've been proving this all over the world for the last 21 years. Um, it's a sure thing. But it's not easy. So it's something. It's it's, <laughs> it's um it's kinda like imagine if you could buy Apple stock when they first went public. Or imagine if you could buy Amazon stock when they first went public. Being willing to bet on yourself by the develop by developing your emotional intelligence. Is the same thing. The ROI will ensure that the rest of your life is the best of your life. It's it's been proven over and over and over again all over the world. You just have to have the the motivation to do the work to go through the process, and that initially requires. A leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah, but so, so worth it. And I think about the ripple effect that that can have. And, you know, especially within, say, an organization, right? So a business. or There's something called emotional contagion. Mm. Uh, So, so yes, you're right. The current level of employee engagement, according to Gallup, worldwide is around 13%. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, and low levels of employee engagement, the toxicity in most environments is costing the U.S. economy over a trillion dollars a year. Burnout, turnover, unwillingness to embrace change, you name it, profitability, revenue generation. And Gallup also determined that there's almost a one-to-one correlation between the level of employee engagement and the level of customer engagement. So if your employees don't feel engaged in what they're doing, if they don't feel safe, neither do the people you're trying to serve. So it's a big, huge, growing problem. And the development of our emotional intelligence is the solution. It's not a solution. It's the solution. Yeah, I think, you know, we could try so many different tactics, but ultimately it's, it comes back to the willingness to, to change and grow. And yeah, there is no other path. There is no other. You've got to be willing to do the work, to take the leap. So for the people who are ready to take the leap, where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I'll give you a link to my calendar. So if uh, they can reach out, and I'd be happy to talk with uh, my my Zoom calendar. Okay. So anybody that would like to have a chat, I'd be be happy to meet with them. Wonderful. We'll make sure that's in the show notes and easily clickable. Wow. I I feel like we could talk for hours and hours about this and go really deep. Um, I so appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Do you have any parting wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? As they're hesitating about making any changes in their lives. I do. 
bet on yourself by developing your emotional intelligence. Take the leap. Bet on yourself by developing your emotional intelligence. I guarantee you won't regret it. So good. Oh my gosh, so good. Well, I am thrilled to have had you on the show. We will also share a link to your LinkedIn newsletter. I think that's really excellent content. I think that's a great way for people to learn a little bit more as well. So the links to your calendar and the ways to connect with you on LinkedIn and and get to your newsletter. As always, I really enjoyed our conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Tracy. And I, I appreciate the work you're doing. So thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Thriving Practice. I appreciate you coming here week after week, dear listener, to listen and learn how to elevate your leadership, grow your practice, and to think and act like the high-impact CEO provider that you're meant to be. I have one request of you. If you've benefited from this show, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review with your thoughts on the show. Your feedback and review help us get in front of other amazing practice owners just like you. Thank you again for listening and until next time.